Well, it is Advent, and it's time for another Advent series in this season. Today, I'm introducing what will be a four-part, the first of a four-part series, Advent series entitled, When Heaven Came Down. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you probably might recall, where have I heard that before? Heaven came down. Think of an old hymnal. <laughs> Heaven came down in what? Glory fill my soul. So we, we know that phraseology, but I'm using it in a different sense or really in the same sense. But we're going to see there are a number of different aspects in which that is true, past, present, and future. This year's Advent series is a four-week journey from the moment when heaven and earth were separated from one another until the day in which they will be reunited again. Heaven and earth once were separated. Now, one day, they will yet be reunited our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 15, and Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I would like you to pay careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he for had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will always remain. Let us pray. Father, we have read your word. I pray now that you would give us light and understanding. You would illumine our hearts so that we might see you more clearly and understand even better what your purposes are that began so long ago and one day will be completed through our Redeemer. Father, we pray again today for help and understanding. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, the thought of going to heaven is a big part of the Christian hope. It's a big deal for us Christians. The idea is indeed... Biblical. Think of the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to him, what? This day you will be with me in paradise. But going to heaven is not that common. Is going to heaven is not the most common idiom in the Bible. The way that we speak of that. That's not the phraseology that's most frequent in the scriptures. The Bible speaks more about having heaven come down than our going up. Did you know that? There there are more examples of God coming, coming down. In the end, it won't matter because they will be together one. But in biblical terms, earth and heaven are the best way we can try to describe it. Is they are not two places, geographic places, points on a a map somewhere. They are two dimensions. Heaven is always present 
though not always visible to us now in this world. But this Advent, we're going to look at four instances in which the essence of heaven was, is, and will be made noticeable. We're going to look at two in the past, one in the present, one sense in which the presence of God has come down, and a final sense in the future. But today, where are we going? Back. <laughs> Not back to the future, back to the past. Back to the past in the Garden of Eden when heaven was here. When heaven was here. Now here's the outline. What was it? I mean, excuse me, not what was it. Where was it? <laughs> Where was it geographically? What was it like? And why is it no longer here? Why can we not now have heaven on earth? Not yet. All right. With those things in mind, let's, let's see what we can do with that. First of all, the question, location. Where was the Garden of Eden? The heavenly garden of Eden. Wasn't quite ready for that uh, slide yet, but that's all right. Um, yeah, there, if we can go back to the other in just a minute, because I'm, I'm going to, if we can be back up, I'll call for that one. There we go. All right. We commonly use the terms Eden and the Garden of Eden because the garden that God planted was on the east side of an area known as Eden. And although we do not know for sure where the garden was, we do get some strong clues in our scripture reading that we heard and in other places in the Bible. We're going to be looking at a few of those that, uh, here in a few moments. Our passage describes basically a fountainhead that flowed out of the garden and became four very distinct rivers. Now, the location of the Tigris and the Euphrates, we have no problem with. We got that. We can go there, and they're still there. But Noah's flood drastically altered the geography of the world. It's amazing how many people don't understand what a global flood would do to everything known in the previous time, how changed the whole earth would be. Noah's flood drastically altered the geography of the world, and the two other rivers, the Pishon and the Gihon, no longer exist. But we still get clues from the Bible as to where they would have been in that time before the destruction, the Diluvian destruction in Noah's day. We're told that one flowed through Havilah. You know where that is? That's Arabia. That's Arabia. And the other flowed through Cush. And that's basically Ethiopia. Now, for our slide, and I'll try not to hit you with the pointer. Make sure I'm pointing this way. Um, as you can see, of course, this is the whole Mediterranean area here. And Africa here. And Arabia. 
But you notice here is the Tigris. Here is the Euphrates. This is a little bit different color because it's filled in probably what would have been. And here is the Pishon and would have connected here and would have flowed down to Cush in Ethiopia. Now, where most likely, we don't know for sure, we don't have a pinpoint, we don't have a GPS coordinates, but where would it probably have been, the garden, it would have been somewhere north of Palestine, somewhere north, in Assyria or possibly Turkey, it would have sent forth a fountainhead for all four of these rivers to their points of destination. Now, again, we don't know exactly, but I think we can have an idea of where that might have been. Now, here's the other thing that's really fascinating, to, I think. Based on these known rivers and that they had a common source we, as I said, we can conclude that it was likely somewhere north of Palestine. Another important aspect of Eden's location is that it was on a mountain. On a mountain that poured forth its waters, maybe some kind of a plateau. Eden likely was a plateau on a mountaintop with water cascading down the mountain, parting it into its four riverheads would have been an absolutely amazing and beautiful sight to see. Now, listen to this from Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you where on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Now, that's Poetic imagery, but it's alluding to the time of Eden and the holy mountain of God. Have you ever thought about that? About why are mountains so important in the scripture? Eden was the original holy mountain. And that is, explains why God chose mountains for the site of his redemptive Acts and revelations. God always was seemingly using mountains to accomplish his great purposes of redemption and revelation to his people. Now, that's a little bit about what we can say where it was. Still no, no pinpoint. But what was it like? What was it like in, that, in the Garden of Eden before the fall? The Garden of the Lord was filled with lush trees, fruit, and flowing fresh water. Furthermore, by the way, remember at this point, you've heard it in the scripture, no rain had yet descended. There wasn't anything falling down. This was stuff like coming out of Yellowstone, giant geysers bursting in and creating cascading waters of those four rivers. It would have been an on something incredibly beautiful. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 12, and it says, And the gold of that land is good, but onyx stone are there. Beautiful gems and treasures. 
Ezekiel 28, 13 says this, And you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold where your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. God put all of that glorious, shimmering beauty in his mountain, in his Eden. The original Eden was also teeming with what we now call wildlife. But you know what then? It wasn't wild. There was no destruction in God's holy mountain. That only came after the fall. Adam was called not to fear the animals, great and small. He was called to classify them without fear, Genesis 2, 19 and 20. But far more important than all of that beauty and that splendor and that glory and all the jewels and the beautiful, lush situation. By the way, have you ever thought about, you look on the map, if you do a Google Earth map, and you look at the, at the actual topography, of not, uh, not the, the, the height, but just basically, is this green or is this brown? Is this desert or is this? You look today and you say, there's no way that could be. That's, that's so much desert there. Take yourself back about four to 6,000 years or more. What do, you, what do you think? Do you think? Do you think right now that the earth is not constantly shifting? Forests are, are disappearing Sands are taking over. There's always been changes. If you read about, remember in Lot, he went for the what? The good land. He wanted, he wanted, he wanted the best land down in Sodom. Go there now and you think, best land? You've got to be kidding. There's nothing but salt and rocks. That was a long, long time ago, my friends. The world would, would have looked different. It is changing. So the idea that we, we can't quite imagine the beauty in such what looks so arid now. But in this place, it would have been absolute beautiful beyond anything we could have imagined. But far more important than all that beauty and all that tranquility and all that abundance and all that peace God himself was there. God himself was there. Look again at Genesis 3, 8. Listen. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was the norm. God would come walking with his children. He delighted in that time and in them as his unspoiled creation. God's presence was there with them in the garden. And wherever the presence of God is, that really is the essence of what is Eden, what is paradise, what is heaven on earth. He talked to them. He walked with them. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve had personal communion with God and access to him in his garden mountain home. 
in the beginning. But, you see, then where they were God's friends and allies, serving his great purposes and running on the tracks that they were designed to run on. And when a train's on the tracks, it runs well. When it goes off, totally different story. See, do you realize that this state of our first parents was essentially heaven come down? The title of this series, Heaven Come Down. It did come down. Heaven came to earth and brought glory with it. Because whatever else heaven is, my friends, it's first and foremost, as I said, in the presence of God. It is hell everywhere else where God's presence is not. So we don't often even recognize in how sustaining God's grace, even though this is a broken world, there's still so much that is sustained by God's presence. Now, we've looked at where was it? We've looked at sort of a glimpse of what it was like. But why is it no longer here? Why is it no longer here? Why can't we find heaven on earth? Everybody's questing for it. Everybody's seeking it. But why can't we find it? Why do we sometimes feel so lonely? So afraid, so sad. Because deep down inside, folks, we know. We know something is not right here in this world. Some of it's obvious, some of it we can't explain how it got that way. We don't understand, but we know somehow this is not the way it's supposed to be on earth. Somehow, what belongs together has gotten bifurcated. It's been separated. And it is left horrible repercussions of that separation. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 that I read, it tells us the story of how heaven and earth were torn apart by the sinfulness of us, our first parents, and we who have ratified their misdeeds over and over and over again in this world. Put another way, how paradise was lost. That's how Milton said it in his book, Paradise Lost. But that's the bad news. That's the sad news. But God was not going to leave it there. Praise his holy name. He was not going to leave it there. There is good news. God longs for Eden and for the original unity as much as we do. We can only imagine what it was like, but we know it was glorious. And God has a stake and interest in that. You see, 
What a beautiful picture. Even though they had done wrong, Adam and Eve had sinned and had, had destroyed God's good creation. They can't set loose the seeds of destruction throughout the earth. Yet God came looking for his children. He came looking for them, his lost friends. And he basically said, where are you? Where are you? You see, the story did not end there. Oh, God knew exactly where they were, locationally. But he wasn't asking locationally. He was saying, what have you done? My children, what have you done? The one thing, now you have unleashed hell on earth instead of heaven on earth. But he didn't leave it there. The story did not end there. On the very day that paradise was lost and the curse took hold of the earth, its strangling grip, God pronounced a greater judgment upon the tempter, the serpent, declaring that one day the Redeemer would come and crush the head of the serpent. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will, this is God, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, he, who is the he? That is Jesus, the Redeemer to come. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It will cost Jesus dearly, but it won't be an utterly fatal blow. It will be to Satan's kingdom and to his interest. God is going to one day make it right. And he promised that to Adam and Eve in their fallenness. That first day, he knew that his purposes were not going to be ultimately tied up in all the destruction that Adam and Eve had leashed, unleashed upon the world. You see, he had plans for paradise restored. Paradise lost, that was their doings. God has plans for paradise restored. Now, do you know that ever since Jesus came, the clock's been working backwards? There are things that have come into the world that make it a better place because of his work in, through the Redeemer and through his missionary purposes. But one day, we're still a long way from it. But one day, paradise will be utterly destroyed, utterly restored. But that's, <laughs> that, my friends, is another song that we're going to be singing in, the next, in a couple of weeks from now in this series. You see, Advent is, in part, is all about the reawakening of this longing within us, the longing for Emmanuel, God with us to come once again and bring more of heaven here.
Isn't that amazing what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it will ultimately be done on earth when heaven and earth become one. But now even, we can live in the anticipation and the hope. That's what Advent is countdown for. That though this world is a dark and broken place, there is a promise from God that pierces through and brings hope to anyone who will believe and trust in him and in his promised redeemer. Are you such today? I hope so. Let us pray. Father, oh Lord, we, we cannot imagine what that, that first glory was when heaven was here. But Father, all we know is it's we have done in our sinfulness and our failure and our rebellion. We have done such destruction to your created good earth. And yet, Father, we are here now in light of and with the promise of the Redeemer and of his promise to make one day heaven and earth one again. Father, in that time and until then, in anticipation, give us grace, give us mercy, give us help that more and more we might point people to the one who is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you that we can have your presence now. And I pray in this series that next time as we look at those things, his coming and and the sense in which he comes to be our Emmanuel in our hearts. Father, in, make this time a joyful anticipation. And teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.